Good evening. This lecture will be about Shimshon Rufa Ben Levin. Also, Hatzlacha, success, Bezrat Hashem. If you remember last week, shut your phones, that we won't have a repeat of last week. If you remember last week, I don't know, probably you won't remember. I told you that there is a murderer in Israel that murdered a kid 40 years ago. Yeah. And now he's dying and he's asking yeah. to get out for the last yeah, few days died. of his life. As we spoke about him, that second he died. Yeah. <laughs> right here. It was the morning in Israel. Here it's Tuesday night. I spoke about him around 11, 10.30. At 7 hours, early morning, Wednesday. He actually died. This is a murder that shocked Israel. Because remember, I told you there was no murders back then. Nobody murdered all year. You don't have one case. We had one case of Rachel Heller, and the second one was this kid, Oron Yarden. I made a mistake in his name, the murderer. His name is Tzvi Gur, not Roch. For whatever reason, I thought his name is Roch. It's Gur. How could I forget him? It was the whole country was all sh 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 you know, shaken up by something like this in Israel, wow. Today, unfortunately, every hour you have a case. Everywhere you go, New York, California, Israel, violence is everywhere. So we are still, Baruch Hashem, in a few parashot speaking about Abraham Avinu, Lech Lecha, Vayera, Chayesara. It's basically, the foundation of the Jewish nation, the beginning of everything, is Abraham Avinu, Abraham, who is admired by all three big religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Even they recognize the greatness of Abraham Avinu, like Muslims, they call themselves Ibrahim, the Christian call themselves Abraham, or Abe. And Jews, of course, Abraham, Abraham Avinu, is the father of most of the nations in the world. Av Amon Goim, that's his name, Abraham Av Amon Goim, a father of many nations, right? So it's very interesting because the, it's written in a parasha, Goi Gadol, I will make you a huge nation, Let's pay attention to this verse. I will make you a huge nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Strange language, no? Each thing obviously means something else. So again, I will make you a big nation, that's understood. I will bless you. We understood that also. I'm going to make your name great, meaning everyone will know about you, as you know, everyone in the world knows about him. That's a promise that Hashem gave him back then. So far, everything is clear. But tell me, what does it mean, bracha, and you will be blessing? Usually, when you, spoke to, you speak to somebody, you say, and you will be blessed. What does it mean, and you will be blessing? The Rashi writes, Rashi, the greatest commentary on the Torah ever, Ve'a'eschah legoi gadol, that's what we say, the God of Abraham. I'll make you a huge nation. 
That's what we say, אלוקי יצחק, the God of Isaac. והגדלה שמך, and I will make your name great, this is what we say, the God of Jacob. Jacob. So when we, when we pray every day, three times a day, the Tfilat Shmona we say, אלוקי אברהם, אלוקי יצחק ואלוקי יעקב. האל הגדול, הגיבור והנורא, right? And how do we finish the bracha? ברוך אתה השם, מגן אברהם. Why not? ברוך אתה השם, מגן אברהם, יצחק אין יעקב. In the middle of the blessing, you say, אברהם, יצחק אין יעקב. אלוקי אברהם, אלוקי יצחק ואלוקי יעקב. Why in the end, ברוך אתה השם, מגן אברהם. What happened to יצחק אין יעקב? The Midrash The seal of this blessing will be in your name, but not the other ones. The question is why? You can say Abraham and Sarah were the first father and mother. So they have special significance. But among the three couples, Abraham and Sarah, Itzhak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Rachel, who is considered the highest level, even though we are not supposed to compare between righteous people, but who is considered Bechir Avot? Yaakov Avinu. His name was changed to Israel. Why Yaakov is Bechir Avot? Who can tell me? Abraham symbolizes kindness, Chesed. He is the man of kindness, Isha Chesed. Yitzchak, Avoda. Hard work, judgment, fairness, strictness. Avoda means avodat korbanot. Korbanot, sacrifices of Bet HaMikdash. It's all judgment. Bloods non-stop. Slaughtering, slaughtering for the sins of the people. Sacrificing all kinds of korbanot. And Yaakov, emet, Torah. Yaakov, titen emet le Yaakov. Chesed l'Avram, we say in the Tfilah in Shabbat. You gave the truth to Jacob and the chesed to Abraham. But Yaakov is really the stamp of the Torah. Ishtam Yoshevu Alim, a perfect tzaddik, sitting in a tent, meaning learning Torah, because otherwise what do you have to do to sit in a tent all day? People used to be farmers, hunters, shepherds, you know, in the old days. We sit all day, in a, in a, in a, it's, and that's a compliment. Meaning the Torah compliments him that he sits all day in a tent. Meaning, what does he do over there? Learns Torah, of course. Doesn't sleep all day. If he sleep all day, he will be wicked, not righteous. Someone who's a bum does nothing. There are many, many people in the, in the world that are so lazy, they don't want to do anything. Even to get up from the chair to go get themselves a glass of water, they don't want to do. People like this cannot walk, cannot run a family, cannot be parents, cannot learn Torah, cannot do anything. Because until they decide to get up, until they move, they don't do nothing. So Yaakov obviously is the exact opposite. Twenty years he worked for Lavan. Seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, and six more years for the sheep. Twenty years to serve the biggest crook of those days. Lavan Arami, meaning Naval Aramai. The crook villain. That's what it means, his name. It's actually, the meaning of his name is the villain crook. The crook. 
the crooked. So the question is, if Yaakov is the greatest father out of three, why don't we finish the bracha Baruch Ata Hashem again Yaakov? Why we finish with Abraham? That's the question. Rashi says, could we finish the blessing mentioning all of them? Talmud Lomar Heye Bracha. You will be blessing. Bechachotmim. We seal the bracha with your name. Why? In the end of exile, when the exile will finish, which is our days, the end of days, we are now in the end of days. Soon it's going to be all over. So we don't have any more Avodah, we don't have Bet HaMikdash, there's no sacrifices. Even when you come to pray, which is a replacement for the sacrifices, no one can have a clear mind. If a person pray, five minutes, five minutes to think about every word of Tefillat Shmona today it's impossible. Who can raise his hand and say that one time he was able to aim and think about every word of the Tefillat Shmona without skipping even one word with a second thought. Did it happen to you ever in your life? Can you find one time that you were able to, to follow, know, probably a thousand words there, I don't know, 500 words, whatever it is, every word thinking what it means? Forget about all the secrets. A lot of secrets be between the lines. I'm not talking about all these Kabbalistic secrets and highlights of certain combinations over there. Chachamim put in a tefillah. I once explained in a, in a tefillah of Shabbat, we say, Befi Yesharim, Titroman, Ufsifte Tzadikim, Titbarach, Vekir Pidoshim Titala. Right? Uh, how does it go? He gives us Yitzchak and Rivka. In the Sidurim, the highlight Yitzchak and Rivka. Yitzchak, in numeric value, is 208. Right? Yud, it's 10. Tzadik, it's 80. Chet, it's 8. Kuf, it's 100. Yeah, 208. And Rivka, 307. Right? Resh, it's 200. Bet, it's 2. Kuf, it's 100. Hey, it's 5. 307 plus 208, 515. The name of God, the letter Yud, is 10. The letter He, it's 5. The letter Vav, it's 6. The letter He, it's 5. Together, 26. Right? So you have 515 plus 26, numeric value 541, which is numeric value Israel. Three partners in a creation of the human being. His father, Yitzchak, 208, his mother, 307, Rivka, and God. They all together create a human being. The father and the mother give the DNA, which creates the eyes, the hair, skin, everything. And then God gives the, all the spiritual things, the soul, the spirit, the ability to see, to understand, to think. The Gemara said, once the time of a person came to die, comes God and take his chair and leave what the father and mother contributed, which is worthless. 
How does it help you that you have a beautiful body laying down there? That second, that body became zero. You know? So, that, that's what we have. We have the last word before we actually say, Hashem Sfatai Tiftach Ufiagiti Latecha, we say, Baruch Ata Hashem, Gaal Israel. Bless you, God, who saved the Jewish nation, the, the, the Israelites. Now, the prayers every morning when we start, the prayers of every day divide to four different worlds, four different categories. In the beginning, we say, Elokeinu veloke avotenu, we speak about Avraham Avinu, the Akedah. God came and tested Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son you love, Yitzchak, take him, you know, and sacrifice him for me as a sacrifice, Korban Ola. Korban Ola means nothing is left from it. Everything gets burned out. Nobody eats any pieces like other sacrifices. A complete sacrifice to Hashem. That's, right after that, we start... Korbanot, all the sacrifices, and pitum aktoret. This is things that we used to do in the temple every day, right? Sacrifice of the morning, sacrifice of the evening, pitum aktoret, all the things we used to do. So we see that the beginning of the prayers is talking about this world, words of action. In order for you to connect with Hashem, you have to be active. You have to do mitzvot. Not just, it's not enough just the thought or the words. You actually have to do things with your hand and your body. Right after we finish this world, this world called Olam Asiya. That's the lowest world out of four. There is a lot of spirituality in this world, but there's nothing compared to the other top three worlds that are above us. That's the lowest one. That's why the soul is being put in a body. Body and soul, this, the body eliminates most of the ability of the soul. When the soul comes out of the body, it becomes fully divine. When it's inside the body, it's limited and has obstacle, meaning <coughs> I can only see forward because my head blocks the rest. The soul cannot see through the head. But when the soul comes out of the body, it sees to all four directions with no limit. Also hearing. The ear is designed to hear to a hundred yards. When the soul comes out, there's no limit. It can hear for a hundred miles. There's no limit. The soul can travel from one location to another based on the speed of the body. If you walk or you run or you sit in a car, the faster the body moves, the faster the soul will move with it. But the soul cannot move independently. independently. It has to move to where the body goes. So it's a combination. What is it like? It's like a person that is blind but have legs and a person that see but does not have legs. Each one of them right now is worthless. The one that does not have legs, he can see but he cannot move. He cannot go and see and take what he wants. He's stuck in one place. The other person has legs but he cannot see. So they're both stuck. They sit depressed until one of them thought, said, listen, you are limited and I'm limited. But if we will become one unit, then we have no more limitation. Pick me up. I don't have legs. Let me sit on your shoulders. I'll be your eyes. And I will direct you where to go. 
So they depend on each other. Well, what happens if the person in the bottom, the blind, which is walking, he wants to go now to swim. And the one who sits on his shoulder that sees so beautiful food somewhere, he wants to go to eat. They have to compromise. What happens if they do not want to compromise? They begin to fight. That's exactly the secret of life. This parable I just gave you. The soul always wants spiritual, good, positive things. The body always wants the opposite. And now the question is who's going to be stronger? If the soul will be stronger, it will overcome the body. The body will surrender to the soul most of the time. If the body will be stronger, the soul will surrender to the body and the body will dominate. How do you make the soul, the soul strong? The Torah told us the secret. The more you learn Torah, the more you learn Musar, the stronger you become. When you are strong, you defeat the body. No more desire for food, no desire for money, no desire for women. It reduced. 90% reduced. Then you have the ability to do mitzvot. You're not stingy, you're generous, you give big donations. What makes you all of a sudden generous? The more influence you have from the Torah, the more you're willing to do for the sake of Hashem. The less Torah you have, the more you are occupied by the materialistic world. So what do we have over here? So the first world is Olam Once we finish all the sacrifices, we say Kaddish. Now we begin to say Odul Hashem Kitov. Not Hodu Lashem, like the Americans say. Hodu. I have a, a friend of mine sit next to me in a shul. I told him a good joke this Shabbat. This Shabbat. He is a son of the legendary biggest rabbi of Shlomo Volbi. al and other books. Son sits next to me in a shul. I told him I have a joke for you. <laughs> he said, what? <laughs> He actually liked that very much. I said to him, every morning the American Ashkenazim give Hashem a gift. I have actually a quiz for you. That's what I told him. I have a chida for you. <laughs> I said, every day the American Ashkenazim, they give Hashem a gift, which you already owned. What's the point of giving someone something that they own? But not only that, it's not a little gift. It's a very big gift. What is it? A huge country. He looks at me like, what? I said, think, think. Thinking, thinking. Of course, he couldn't come up with the answer. I said to him, every day, the American Ashkenaz, they give Hashem a gift, the country of India. Hodu <laughs> Hashem. India is for God. Hodu, it's India in Hebrew. So when you say, Hodu Hashem, or like they say, Hoidu Hashem, Hoidi, you chassid, that means I'm giving Hashem India. But if they say Hodu Hashem, Ohoidu Hashem, Ohoidi Hashem, that's called Milra, not Milel, in a grammar. That changed the meaning of the word India into the word Thank Hashem. Hodu Hashem means say thank you to Hashem. Changed the entire meaning. Now the, the Ashkenazi side are all smiling. You know why they're smiling? Because they think, where have we been all these years? <laughs> we just find out for the first time. 
understand? So it's not your problem, it's a national problem. So you have to say, Hodu Hashem. So now, after you say the Kaddish, the Kaddish separate from Olam HaAsiyah Leolam HaYetzirah. The next world, which is higher than this world, spiritually, it's called Olam HaYetzirah. The world of creation. Not creation. There is a difference between when you create something from nothing. There's nothing, no raw material, and Hashem said there should be material, and all of a sudden material was created. That's called Yesh Me'ayim. Something out of nothing. But Yetzirah, Yotzer, come from the word Tzura. Tzura means shape, an image. Like a painter has paints and he makes a beautiful painting from it. A carpenter has a big piece of wood and he makes a beautiful standard out of it. <coughs> Shaping it, sizing it. That's called Yotzer. When we pray every night, what do we say? Baruch Atah Hashem, Yotzer Or, Uvorech Hoshech. Yotzer Or means, out of something, Hashem gives us light. What is that something? The sun. He created the sun. The sun is Bore. It's something out of nothing. Well, once the sun is already here, who gives the sun the energy every day? And trillions of trillions of, of, of material to be burned to create such a heat and light. That's a big mystery. There is no source of energy. It keeps renewing and the temperature never went down for thousands of years. Where will you find an oven that produces heat without charcoals, without pieces of wood like the primitive ones, without burning any wood? Where will you find such thing? So that's called Yotzer Or, meaning out of material you create light. When it comes to the darkness, it doesn't say Yotzer Choshech. It says Bore Choshech. What does it mean? Bore means there was nothing and Hashem created something that did not exist, which is darkness. There's a famous scientific questions in the scientific world. Light, what is it light? Is light is lack of darkness or light is a creation by itself? Darkness, is darkness is lack of light or it's a creation by itself? The scientists are puzzled. We, not, we don't have a problem, we know the truth. There was nothing and Hashem created darkness. By the way, we look up to the sky, it looks blue, right? you know, if we go up above, it's all black. Only from here you see it's blue, because of the influence of the sun and others. Once you go very high, there is no more blue sky. It's all black. So what do we see? Yetzirah means to create something out of, some, out of something. For instance, you have metal and you make a statue out of it. That's called Yetzirah. You give it Tzura shape, image, you design it. So, on a, on a human being, he says, Hashem Elokim et Adam, and God created Adam, afar min adama, sand from the ground. That's why his name is Adam, because Adama means earth, sand, right? 
Adam. So what is what is in Vayitzer? Hashem gave him a shape, an image, head, light, I mean eyes, ears, legs, all these things. Hashem designed it. But who created the sand? The Adama. That was Yashmeayim. It's raw material. Metal, water, all these things, it's a creation by itself that did not exist before Hashem say it should be and it became. So now, the next world is as we say, Olam HaYetzirah. It's once we start, Odu Hashem, Kiru Bishmo, all the way to Baruchu Et Hashem Amvorach, to the last bracha, Ishtabach. Once we finish Ishtabach, the Chazan say Kaddish again. Why? Because you have to cut between the second world, which is Olam HaYetzirah, to Olam HaBriya, which is higher. Briya means creation out of nothing. Yetzirah means creation out of something. It's less. So the next world, the third, right? We have Olam HaSiyah, Yetzirah, Briya. The third world is from Barechu, Et Hashem Avorach, all the way to Tfilat Shmona Baruch Atah Hashem, Gaal Israel. When you say the word Israel, we finish with the third world and we go into the fourth world, which is Olam HaAtzilut. The highest world. That's where Hashem is. That's where supposedly his chair and carriage and all the angels are singing to him. As there's many different kinds of angels. Angels with fire, angels that looks like wheels, angels that have Im images of animals. There's billions of angels singing, beautiful choir. That's what we say in the Kedusha, when we stand, Kadosh, 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 this is what the Prophet saw in Shamayim. The Prophet saw all this, yeah, right? Everybody sing to Hashem, they scream, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's why when we say Kedusha, we have to make our legs tight together, it's like one leg, because the angels have only one leg, one wide leg, they don't have two legs. So we stand together, right? And we say, Kadosh, Kadosh, why we, why we raise our ankles when we go like this, Kadosh? Because we want to go to the highest world, like we like, when hinting, we, we are now jumping to the upper world, to the Olam HaAtzilut. And that's what Tfilat Shmona Yisrael. Tfilat Shmona Yisrael, as you know, everybody whisper, that's when you do Kedusha, that's when you do Birkat Kohanim. You're not allowed to answer amen on brachot. If someone talks to you, you're not allowed to answer. Even if a snake's crawling on your leg, you're not allowed to move. Why? You are now in the highest world, in Olam Atzilut. How come there's no Kaddish there? Baruch Atah Hashem, Gaal Israel. There should have been another Kaddish. Remember, every Kaddish divides between one world to another. The Gemara answered this question. The Gemara said there should have been Kaddish there. Why we skip that Kaddish? Because we do not want to cut between the words Ga'al Israel, the Savior of Israel, into the prayers. It has to be attached. It's a big secret. When you say, Baruch Atah Hashem Ga'al Israel, you praise Hashem that is the Savior of Israel, and immediately you begin to ask for this Savior, you know, salvation. So now, we finish the bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem Magen Avraham. Why? Why not Magen Yaakov? Why not Magen Yitzchak? The answer is, we just explained that Yitzchak is sacrifices, meaning Avodat Bet HaMikdash, the service of the temple. There's no temple. We're waiting for the temple to be built. So in the end of the day, since there's no temple, and anyway nobody can actually concentrate on the prayers, 
So that's basically almost up, almost obsolete completely. Now, the world of Torah, the world of Emet, and the world of Torah. Who is this? Jacob, Yaakov. Yaakov is the symbol of Torah and the symbol of the truth, which we don't have any of that anymore in the end of days. There is no more truth. Everyone is a liar. Everyone is a deceiver. Once out of 100,000 people, you find one honest person that will never say a lie, will not tell stories, will not cheat his customer, will not do all these things, will not make his, the culture of his life all based on lies. Like you see some nations, one Arab woman once told me, she said, she said, by us, the Arab, the whole culture is built on lying. We lie non-stop. We lie to our parents, we lie, for no reason. This is all, the whole life is based on lies. Everything you hear is lies. We can't go otherwise. This is from the, from the minute we were born. Everybody lies to everyone. This is how it is. You see it with the Arab workers in Israel. Say to Allah, Wallah, Allah, I'm gonna be there by one o'clock. He has no intention to come. I swear in the name of God. One o'clock, Bechiyat Allah, Wallah, I'm one o'clock. There's no even, it did not even cross his mind. No problem whatsoever. If you pay him up front for the job, you're the dumbest person on earth. Go and find him now. <laughs> Three months. A second later, he disappeared. Didn't I pay you to do this? No, Allah, not this. Not this. It was for this. Why? The whole culture of most of the people in the world are 100% lies. Unfortunately, we, the Jewish people, I wish I can say otherwise, are not much better. Maybe not as bad, but we're not much better. How many times you hear someone in Israel tell you, I'll be there in 10 minutes, <laughs> and it's still home. It's 40 minutes drive. You say to him, no, where are you? You say, two o'clock. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm almost there. And you hear the baby screaming in the back. She showed up two hours late. I'm around the corner. Start, start. I'll be there any minute. Culture of lies. So, emet yeneder. That's what the Gemara said. Before the arrival of the Mashiach, the, the truth will be disappearing from the world completely. We had in our generation few people that could never say a lie. One of them was Rabbi Yaakov Kaminetsky from Monsi. He passed maybe 20 years ago, something like that, more. He passed age 96. He could never say a lie. Even if he wanted, he just couldn't. Some people cannot say a lie. So, there was a famous story which I heard directly from my own rabbi, which was his student. He said to me one time, I saw that in Saudash Lishit on Shabbat, everybody eats gefilte fish, and Rabbi Yaakov Kaminetsky does not eat. I started to suspect maybe there's a problem with the kashrut of the fish. I went to him and I said, Rabbi, is there any problem with the fish? But the Rav is not eating from the fish. Ma, gefilte fish in Saudash Lishit and Ashkenazi will not eat? It's the end of the world. 
It's like Yemenite that has chug on a table and he doesn't eat. You know, the spicy grinded peppers. It's not possible. So, he said to him, no, no problem with the fish, nothing. Very good kashrut. So why God Arab doesn't eat? He said, when I was 18 years old in Russia there, on Friday night, I was invited to a family. The woman made a fish. As soon as I tasted from that fish, it was so bad. Maybe it was spoiled. I don't know what the story was. I could not breathe. It was so bad. I had to spit it out in this handkerchief, you know. And the woman just showed up from the kitchen. Ah, Yaakov, you don't like my fish? What am I going to say in front of everyone? So, I, it came out of my mouth. No, I don't like fish. I don't want to say I don't like your fish. Not to insult the woman. She said, I don't like fish. Or I don't eat fish. And he said, the following Shabbos, when I was about to eat my fish, I remember that I told her that I don't eat fish. And if I will eat from this fish, it will make what I say a lie. And since then, until now, I did not touch fish. Why? All his life. And he loves fish. Why? Because it came out of his mouth, and that's it. That's what happened. Chafetz Chaim did not put filin rabenutam. Some Ashkenazim don't put filin rabenutam. Sfaradim put, Chassidim put, some Ashkenazim put, some don't. So, Chafetz Chaim was one of those group that did not put filin rabenutam. And when someone told him something, he said, when I'll be 90, I will also put filin rabenutam. Commercial. You just have to tell the host that we're going to commercials. <laughs> so, so he said, when I'll be 90, I will also put a feeling Rabenutam. And like six years later, all of a sudden, everybody saw him starting to put feeling Rabenutam. What are you doing, Rabbi? All your life you never put. Now you start to put feeling Rabenutam. He said, many years ago, someone told me. Why don't you do like Rabbi such and such and you put filin Rabenuta? And I came out of my mouth. When I'll be his age, I will also put. And now I got to this age. I have to keep what I say. So that means they understood the value of what comes out of the mouth, which people, which people do not understand at all. People curse, people lie, people do horrible things with their mouth. Nibulepe, all these things, and it destroys their life and it destroys the world. Not just their life. Imagine how wonderful the world would be if you did not have liars at all. There's no concept like this. A person couldn't tell a lie. World would be a world. You wouldn't need so many, so many signatures. You wouldn't need so many contracts. You wouldn't need so many lawyers and liars and judges and police. Because if somebody can never say a lie, 90% of the crime will be eliminated right there. And if a person could never steal, nothing to even worry about. You leave your house unlocked, windows are open. It used to be like that in Monsi. When I came to Monsi over 20 years ago, 
You can leave everything in out in the out. You don't have to lock the car. You can leave the window open. You can come back a month later. Everything was there. Problem now that you have all kinds of gardeners, non-Jewish. They come from other places and they steal. They steal the shovels. They steal the bicycle. They steal whatever they can steal. The people of the city, nobody steals. It's all uh, religious people. Nobody touch without permission. But the problem is that all kinds of outsiders are coming to work there. And they are not exactly Hasidim, if you know what I mean, you know? So you got to be extra careful, unfortunately. But life was great. Life was great. You leave a $500 bicycle on the grass all night, you don't have to worry. You come back a week later, it still will be there. No one will touch. You leave balls, you leave everything, the car is unlocked. You wouldn't have to worry about anything. Life would have, would have been great if people would stick to the laws of the Torah. So what do we have? We don't have korbanot. We don't have emet. What about Torah? We don't have Torah. How many big Talmidei Chachamim we have in the world left? Now. How many? One, Rav Sternbuch. Two, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Three, Rav Zilberstein. Four, the one from Ramat Asharon, Adelstein, Rav Adelstein. Five, Rav Mazuz. Six, Rav Sofer. Seven, Rabbi Yaakov Ades. Eight, Rav Benzion Mutsafi. You can add to them another 20 that I didn't mention names or I do not know. More or less, another 20. That's just about it. 30. In the whole world. One generation ago, you have 30,000. Tell me the Chacham. Meaning 50 years ago. And 300 years ago, you know what kind of Chachamim you had? Just the Gaon Mivina that lived up to 200 years ago. If you take the level of Torah that he had and put it on a scale and put every rabbi you can think of doesn't reach 1% of his level. 1%. Anyone, the biggest Chachamim we have today, do not reach 1% of the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon wrote the entire Torah in reverse from memory. 304,805 letters. His brain was... <laughs> Of Chaim was 150 years ago. He was giving in a yeshiva 12 different classes at the same time. You have 13 students around sitting in the shape of a U. It begins with the first one. What is he learn? Masechet Shabbat. Or he talks about what it is, he gives him a few questions, he moves to the next one, complete different subject. Goes with him, goes to the next one, goes to the next one, go, comes back to him. No, what do you have to say? This is how we used to do it. And at the same time, people were coming in with a pen, with a, with a pencil and, a, and a questions and asking halacha questions. In between, he answered them and continued with every one of them. He was able to write two different subjects with two different hands at the same time. Do you know one person like this in the world today? Do you know the level of rabbis we had a few generations ago? <laughs> Who would believe such thing? Even Rav Ovadia Yosef, who passed eight years ago, age 10, he already was teaching people 60 years old. 
אייטשטיין, לא לדינו גמרא, משנה. בהרמני לגדיס יאב. So, the, one of the conditions the Gemara said that the Mashiach will come just when all the Chachamim will be gone. And we never been closer to this, unfortunately, ever before. All the Chachamim I mentioned to you are all in their 90s. All of them. Some of them older than a hundred, like Adelstein is a hundred already, I think. Mazuz in his 80s, Rav Kanievsky is in 90s, you know, Rav, Rav Zilberstein in his 80s. That's it, they're all very old people. So, Baruch Hashem, now we don't have Torah, we don't have Korbanot, we don't have Emet. So how are you going to seal the world with those symbols? No one ever met, so Yaakov is out of the picture. You don't have Torah, so Yaakov is out of the picture. You don't have Korbanot, Yitzchak is out of the picture. You don't have Tefillah, so Yitzchak is out of the picture. So who's left? Only Avraham. Chesed. This remains intact. Chesed today is the same Chesed like 2,000 years ago. You can do just as much. The only thing that was not downgraded in the world is chesed. Kindness, volunteering, helping, donating. Actually today, you can do more chesed, much more than 2,000 years ago. With uh, groups, sharing information, making gmach. People are much wealthier today. People have a lot of money. Where, uh, Two, three hundred years ago, you had people that have 30 billion dollar cash. You never had such people like this. In Israel, when I was a little kid, there was only one billionaire. And everybody knew him. His name was Shaul Eisenberg. That's it. Everybody else was almost poor. One billionaire, and he became billionaire dealing with the Chinese government. Selling them aluminum and steel. So, the story of, 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 of Shaul Eisenberg, he was a Holocaust survivor. He was saved as a kid. Grew up in Israel completely secular. His kids, mamash, completely secular. There's not even a drop of religion in his life. One time, Shaul Eisenberg was the only survivor from his family, but he had one cousin, female. She also survived, that's it. Just both of them survived the war. The female, she was very religious. She came to Israel after the Holocaust, she grew up there as a kid. She married an Avrech Kolel, very religious man in yeshiva. They started to have kids, one after the other. They live with a very small salary. Her Cousin is the richest man in Israel and one of the richest in the world, very rich. And she's very poor. They live very simple life, you know. One time, their oldest kid became 18 or 19 and now they have to start getting them married. Every year a wedding, a wedding, a wedding. They need a lot of money for that. So her husband told her, until now, Baruch Hashem, Hashem made us a lot of miracles that we survived 18 years raising kids with me learning Torah all day. And now what are we going to do? 
every wedding you have to help them with an apartment, furniture, make the wedding. Every year like this, we need tons of money. I don't know what to do. I have an idea. Maybe you go to your cousin Shaul Eisenberg and talk to him if he can help us out a little bit. She said to him, I'm very sorry because I haven't been in touch with him since we were in camps in, 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 in the Holocaust. Now he came to Israel, we've never been in touch. Now I'm going to show up to his office. His office was in Tel Aviv, Bet Asya. The name of the building was the Asian House. Why? Because he's dealing with the Asians. Big, nice, white building in the center of Tel Aviv. He said to her, listen, we don't have now the privilege of uh, worry about shame. We are now desperate, and that's, the, uh, that's our only chance right now. Please go. A kosher wife does what her husband asks her to do, if it's kosher request. And she went. She showed up, a religious woman. Showed up among all the non-religious business people there. Yes, can we help you? What are you doing here? I came to see Shaul. You mean Mr. Eisenberg? Did you have an appointment? No, no, he's my cousin. We never thought he has a family. Definitely not like you. Please tell him whatever her name was, that I'm outside. A minute later, she walked in. Shaul, how are you? How you been? Wow, I haven't seen you since we were kids. What brings you over here? She said, I'm so ashamed to come here, but I really, believe me, if I had another alternative, I wouldn't come. But I may need your help. Well, what's, what happened? She said, you know, I married this man, and we have a religious family, and everybody goes in yeshivot, and now we have to start marrying our kids, and we don't have a penny. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem blessed you, you're doing very well. Maybe you can help us out. He looked at her and he said, Of course! Why you didn't come many years ago? Of course I will help you, you're my only family. He said to the secretary, This is more than 40 years ago, this story. Please write to her a check, $100,000. That's like $10 million today. Like $10 million today. Back then, about 50 years ago, with $100,000 you would buy four houses in Monsi. Four houses now in Monsi could be seven, eight million dollars, just to give you an idea. So it's about seven million dollars. It's a lot of money! 100,000? An apartment in Israel was 30, 50,000 dollars. You could buy two apartments with it. That's it, she said, for all the kids. And every month send her a check $10,000, which is like 50, 60 today in Israel. Put her on the payroll. Tov, the year went by, she married all, her, all, her, all his kids. One day he passed. Now they're making him a funeral like a king, like a president of a country. Chinese came, Koreans came, all this minister, the prime minister, everybody comes. They have such a fancy funeral, if you can say it. Everybody got up and started to talk about Shaul Eisenberg, the brilliant shark, the great businessman, everything he touched became gold. 
He had intuition, he always know when to invest, when to buy, when to sell. He was such a smart businessman. We never saw such a successful guy and hardworking and organized. I actually saw that his son, the day of the funeral, I saw a video of his son trying to say Kaddish. Poor guy. Worth billions and doesn't know how to read Kaddish. Every word in a Kaddish he made mistake. Never read in his life. So anyway, Rabotai, what just happened here? Everybody got up and spoke. And then the daughter of Shaul Eisenberg came to her, to the religious woman, and she said, you're the only family member we have. Would you like to say something? A eulogy? Since when a religious woman stand in front of a thousand people and give a speech? She had so much gratitude to him. How could she say no? <laughs> so she said, yes, I will say something. She got up and she said to all of them, all of you been praising Shaul for everything he left in the world after he left us. Every one of you praise Shaul for what he left over here. I would like to praise him for what he took with him to the next world. Well, he wasn't here when we said everyone should put their cell phone. Can't blame him. So, she started to tell the story how he supported her and all this goim and everyone else had tears in their eyes. Because she told them, you praised him for what he left over here. He could not take all these buildings and all these companies with him. The only thing he took with him to the next world is all the Torah of my children and their kosher homes and everything that they have thanks to him. And that's really what it is. I remember once I told you a story about Yosale. Remember Yosale? Yosale was a very handsome guy, very successful businessman. He succeeded in everything he touched. He had blonde hair, a lot of girlfriends, fancy sport cars, yachts in Madrid, vacation home everywhere. One day he got some kind of a heart attack and he died. Now they have a funeral in Israel. They said, the brother and the father, we have to call a rabbi to say eulogy. So they called up a rabbi. The rabbi showed up. And he said, today, it's a very sad day. We lost one of the most handsome guys named Yosale. That's in a eulogy, and a funeral. Everyone cry, scream. He said, we lost a very handsome man that was such a great businessman and made millions of dollars in unbelievable deals. Everything he touched became gold. He owned a building here and he owned a house there and he had a yacht. Nobody ever saw such a beautiful yacht. Took him two years to design the yacht. He had a nice jet ski and a motorcycle for the summer. His notebook was full of telephone numbers of the prettiest girls in the world. 
אומר לי, מעניין, The brother said to the father, where did you find him? Hey, excuse me, he also donated to hospitals. Let me finish. Yosale, he used to be very good in ski. And when he went with friends to play golf, they all had beautiful Cuban cigars. He liked his Ferrari. Ferrari used to open the roof, fly around in the streets of New York. Excuse me. What is this? People started to get angry. Boo! They screamed. One guy threw a tomato at him. Almost hit him. The father came and said, Why are you embarrassing us? It's supposed to be a eulogy. What are you making fun of us? No, no, no. I'm almost done. Patience. Yosale, every place he went, he has a kid. Kid with this one, kid with that one. His kids are all over. Now they're going to come and fight for all the money he left. Killing each other. So one, one of the brothers said, listen, if you're not getting down now off the stage, I'll kill you right now. It's going to be a double funeral. So the rabbi said, okay, okay, no need to get angry. I'm leaving. But before, before I leave, before I leave, I just want to finish with one question. Everybody got curious. Is anything I said now in the eulogy was a lie? No, it was all accurate details of the achievement of Yosale in this life that he had. Everyone looks. He basically yeah. says everything what happened. All of you know that I say the truth. All of you are dying from embarrassment right now. Because listen to this. Everything he achieved in life I actually complimented him for it. I did not leave one detail out. Why all of you getting so upset and so angry? You should have been very happy that I did not forget one of his achievements. Look how much honor I'm giving him for the money, for the women, for the jet ski. Why are you getting angry? Because all of you know it's all nonsense. And none of it is important even mentioning it. So why are you so angry when I actually tell you that you finally made it? Instead of being happy, you're all embarrassed and you want to kill me. Because all of you knows that you live in a lie. But you still cannot live that lie. You can't let it go. But you all know you live in a lie. And that will be the end of all of you. Everything you achieve will remain here. And you will go naked, empty. To the grave and to the next world. Why? No Torah, no nothing. You won't have anything to take with you. And then he left. That was a fantastic eulogy. Maybe a few people over there woke up to do tshuva. I have a student, today is a very big Talmid Chacham. Big Tzadik. Very, very serious Talmid Chacham. He arrived to my shiur gemara from Florida after he became Baal Tshuva, fresh. When he came to my shiur, he basically knew alphabet only, to teach him the basics. Now he's a genius, serious, learning for over 20-something years, non-stop. But how did he become Baal Tshuva? He was an American kid, grew up in Florida, 
And uh, one time he got a phone call from his friend if he would like to help him out to volunteer in Hevrat Kadisha. Hevrat Kadisha is taking care of the barriers. They had a body which they have to purify. You know, they take buckets of water, they spill on the body, they clean the body, everything before they, before they wrap it with linen. It's called Tahara, purify the body. He didn't know anything from his life about religion. So what we have to do? He said, ah, don't worry, we just they, they bring a body, we have to spill water on it. Can you help me out tonight? He said, okay, yes. So they brought some kind of a rich billionaire, whatever it was, laying like this naked on a bed, dead. And they said, oh, you know who this guy was? Some famous rich guy. And he was alone. Later he told me the story. I was there with the body. With the water, spilling water on me. As the body is laying there on the table. Thinking to myself what life is all about. I'm going to end like this. We're all going to end like this. So why we came here to begin with? To this world if we're going to end up like this? What are we doing here? Started to think. That volunteering hour in the Hevrat Kadisha made him a bad chuba. Then right from there he came right to my end and I finished the job. But without that, who knows where it would be today. Sometimes a funeral is better than a hundred books of Musa. When you see how the body goes into the grave and everybody scream. Sometimes it makes an impact on a person more than reading Mesilat Yisharim and Orchot Tzaddikim and Sharet Tshuva and all the other Sifre Musa. Because it's real. Wow, I'm already 50. Wow, I'm already 60. Wow, I'm already 70. Wow, I'm almost 80. It could be any week. But the Satan obviously puts you to sleep. Ah, woman. Look how healthy you are. So what is 75? Didn't you just come from tennis? <laughs> you play tennis, you play golf in the sun. Look at you, you just lost weight, you look good. You have at least 15 more years, don't worry. You have good genes. <laughs> what is he gonna tell you? You have three months to live? Obviously not. So the conclusion of Eira Kashbachu said to Abraham, Bracha, you will be the source of the blessing. And the bracha of Tfilat Shmonaisre will end with you. Will end with you. Why will end with you? Because Yitzchak and Yaakov will be good for X period of time in the world. There will be sacrifices when there is Bet HaMikdash. When there is no Bet HaMikdash, that's it. There will be truth and there will be Torah for many, many generations. But in the end, even that will not remain. But Chesed will remain until the last second when Mashiach will show up. <coughs> That's why I always tell ignorant people. It's one thing you don't learn Torah, one thing you don't know Torah, it's one thing because you don't know anything, you make tons of sins. In that case, what it would be the only thing that can save you? Torah, you don't have. Honesty, probably not. Hard-working religious person, you're not. Great davener, you're not. So what? is the only thing that will save you. 
when all the disaster will start in the world, when Mashiach comes, when we go to Magog and a huge war and nuclear, what's going to save you? The Gemara told you. Torah and Milut Hasadim. So what's the solution? What am I going to become now, Rav Ovadia? I'm already in my 40s and my head is black. I have uh, HDD, what's all these names? HDHD, HD, this, DVD. <laughs> oh, every day they come up with a new term. I cannot sit three minutes in the class, Rabbi. You want me to now learn Torah? What are you going to do? There's one option. Chesed. Volunteer. Give your beautiful home. Shiure Torah. Rabbi, come twice a week, make sure I'll get the catering. We'll serve the food. You know, if need to drive people, I'll pick them up. You go to shul, wake up the people, make a group, give all kinds of things. Your used stuff, give it to the poor people. Give tons of donations, tons, tons. Give a lot, a lot, a lot. All the time. Invest. Everything you give, it's, you're sending it to your next one, your wire. Don't worry, it did not leave your sight. Still yours. Just give someone $10,000, you did not give anything. You sent $10,000 to your eternal world. It's one trillion percent true what I told you. That's what Hashem said. It doesn't say Tnuli Truma. Tnu means to give. Khu means to take. There's no mistakes in the book of God. He said, take donation to me. Meaning from me. What do you mean? You want us to give. Why you say take? What do you think you really give? You take. Whatever you give, you take with you to the next world. And what is the biggest chesed that you can do to a person? The biggest. By far. No competition whatsoever. What is it? Connect his soul to his creator that he should have an eternal life. Make him a Baal Tshuva. Make him Shomer Shabbat. Make him understand Torah, make him come to classes. Each one of you tonight, if you really wanted, you could have brought at least five more people to the class. Guaranteed. If I would tell you we pay you a thousand dollars for every head you bring tonight. Do you know how many people would be here tonight? Three hundred. People will bang on the windows. Rabbi, it's not fair. We stayed outside. What do you want? There's no room. Every one of you will bring 20. From the morning. Where are you? Simanto, hello, where are you? I'm not working today. It's Tuesday. Why? It's a thousand dollars a head. I'm calling everyone I ever met in my life. Come, come, that's you. Why? It's great business. I'll bring 20 people, I make $20,000 a day. How much I make in my job? Not that much. So what, $1,000 to save a soul, it's worth it for you, but trillions of trillions of trillions of rewards for every mitzvah he's going to keep for eternity and his children and grandchildren, that's not good enough. Of course it's good, but you don't believe in it. You don't believe in it because you're not a believer. Why are you not a believer? Because you don't learn Torah. And even when you learn Torah, in between one class to another, you watch all the garbage of the atheists and all the kufrim and the infidels on television, on the news, in the magazines, destroys your soul. Can you cook, boil water, and at the same time cool it off at the same time? 
Imagine now you have a big bowl, you put water and you want to boil the water. And you keep throwing pieces of ice into the water while it's on the fire. Another chunk of ice and another chunk and another chunk. Your wife comes and says, what are you doing? You're trying to boil the water or you're trying to cool the water? Both! Both! That's a complete moron. <laughs> what are you doing? You do both. That's what happened when one hour you learn Torah and an hour later you watch something dirty on the internet. Comes this and kill that. Very simple. Now we understand what the tefillah is. Yiratzon milfanecha shivane bet hamikdash bimhera beyameno. That's how we finish tefillah shmonaisre. Veten chelkenu betoratecha and give us a share in your Torah. The question is, what's the connection? In one request, you're talking about two different subjects. One is that Bet HaMikdash, the temple, will be built. And the second is that you're going to give us a share from your Torah. Why both of them are in one sentence? The answer is, as long as there is no Bet HaMikdash, we are out of Torah. When the temple will be built, and the Mashiach would come, and the Yetzirah will be eliminated when the Gemara says Hashem will slaughter the Satan. No more Satan. No more forgetfulness. No more problems making money. No more sicknesses. No more HDD and all these things. No more lack of concentration. No memory issues. No, no pain. No back pain. No fatigue. No nothing. Then everyone will only want Torah. No obstacle. Right now, there's a lot of interference. So the Bet HaMikdash is crucial for us to reconnect us to Hashem in the highest level. As long as there's no temple, there's no good connection. It's like with the Wi-Fi. On and off. Oh, you have to wait five minutes to send an email. Go here, try here, walk here, walk there. Why? Obstacle, no good connection, interference. That's the situation right now between us and Hashem. You know, when Avraham and Lot getting out of their way from Haran on the way to the land of Canaan. Canaan is where Israel is today. There were seven nations sitting there, Prizi, Ayvusi, Agirgashi, Aknani, all these nations. The Pasuk said, They left to walk to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan. We have a question. The first word Canaan you know, in Hebrew, if you want to know how to pronounce the words, you have nekudot. How do you say nekudot in English? Vowels. 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 Yeah, vowels. In English, you actually have letters. A, it's A. O, it's O, right? A, it's E. But it's actual letters. In Hebrew, it's not letters. It's vowels. So the question is, Sometimes the same word has different vowels. For instance, Vayetzu lalechet arza 
כנען, the first כנען has a פתח under the ladder נון. כנען, פתח. The second כנען, ויבואו ארצה כנען, it became קמץ. פתח means to open, קמץ means to close. So it's an open vowel or a closed vowel. I know you don't understand what I say, but try to understand the results of what I'm saying. If the first כנען has a פתח, one line under the noon, why all of a sudden in the second word כנען, in the same verse, all of a sudden it has קמץ? The significance of these vowels, פתח means to open up. Come grab. קמץ means to close. Close tight, that nobody should take from you. Why the Torah change? It's the same word. Why one time you put this kind of... In English, you will always have the same vowels. If it's I, it's I. It's never going to be Y. It's I. That's it. The answer is... In the first... In the first noon is Patach. The Yalkut Gershoni explained this, the Midrash. Because Hashem said to Abraham that he's going to a land that he will have all the greatness that he can think of. I'm going to multiply you when you have a lot of children and you have wealth and, you're going to, and you have your own son, meaning a lot of blessings you get. Abraham arrived to the land of Canaan and what does he look for? For all the wealth Hashem promised. And what in reality he found? Starvation. People are dying from hunger, no food. Hunger. Complete dry out. So when he left, he was patach, open, take, it's all yours. When he arrived, he became kamatz, take what? Nothing to grab. Even in the vowels, there's a lot of secrets. Look at this divine language. Inside the vowels, usually most books do not have vowels, because they assume that Israelis are experienced enough to read without it. You know? So that if you see that the Torah changed the vowels, you have to go and check what's the secret over there. One time the Gaon Vilna, they asked him about, about uh, the Torah said that if a person climbed on a ladder and the ladder broke, right? So they, they asked the Gaon Vilna, so Gaon Vilna said, an explanation to the verse based on the tongue. What's the term? What? Shalshelet. It looks like a ladder. It's unbelievable how they knew from something that looks completely irrelevant, they knew to give a whole speech about it. Imagine their knowledge. It was unbelievable. So, that's one of the ten tests that Abraham had. Very big one. You go over there, and I'm going to bless you in wealth, and, and you arrive there. Excuse me, sir, can spare some change? We didn't need for three days. What? And here is poor. I was wealthy over there. Hashem told me I'm going to be a lot bigger over here. What's going on? Now one beep. The greatness of Abraham Avinu, you should know, all the compliments that the Torah gave him, if you check one by one, we, many of us, could have passed the same test he did. 
If you had a hundred years with no kids, and finally you had a kid, and Hashem said, you take your kid and throw him from the Empire State Building. I don't have to tell you how horrible it would feel. But who can go against God? A religious man. Hashem come to Mustafa. Hey, Mustafa, come here, you murderer. Come here. Now I want you to murder your own son. No, la, 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 bismillah, la, 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 not my son. Ma, leave Saeed alone. Mustafa, you love me, yes or no? Of course, Allah, of course I love you. I'll die for you. I don't want you to die. I want to you to throw little Saeed from the Empire State Building. What do you think he's going to do? I will throw him and kick him in the air. See how much I love you? Not only I throw him, I gave him one shot in his head before he fell. So if Mustafa, the murderer from the Hamas, would do it, I want to believe that each one of us here would, uh, would also do it, with tears, with a broken heart. Maybe we will be in depression for months after that. I'm not, ask, I'm not questioning that. But can we go against a direct order from God? No. So what's the great test here? He had no choice. <laughs> if Hashem said to you, that's what you have to do, you have to do. The, the compliment that he got for that was not for actually agreeing to take his son and kill him. Few other things around it show you that he's not like us. And we will never be like him. First, Vayashkem Avram Bavoker, 5 a.m. he was already anger, eager to go and do it. Who told you to go at 5 a.m.? Wait until 6, 7 p.m. before it gets dark, then take him. You have all day, enjoy! Take him fishing, hug him, kiss him, hug him for a few hours, drink coffee together, conclude your life together with him, take a few pictures, some selfies, no? What, what's the rush? First, as soon as I see the light, I run to do the mitzvah. Because Hashem didn't tell me when. I'm not waiting. I'll do it in the fastest possible way. And he also, when Hashem told him, send him the angel, said, do not touch the boy. And he said to him, at least let me give him a cut, something. I came all the way here. No, no, don't touch him. Don't, don't send your hand and don't touch him. But even that... It's not really what he got the huge status of a righteous man. Hashem testified that in the entire time, after years that Hashem told him, warned the Goim that I'm not happy that they kill their children. They throw their children to the fire, they do all kinds of crazy things in their sacrifices. That's not religion, to take a baby and sacrifice him. I'm not interested in human sacrifices. Tell them to stop with their nonsense. And Abraham was their teacher. Everybody admired him, as you can see. And he was preaching to them to stop, and now he has to do the same thing that he told them not to do. So something like this could have made a person ask himself, what kind of a God is this? What is it? He changes his mind every few hours. One day they tell me to do, the next day they tell me the opposite. The entire time Hashem testified that never ever Abraham had even one thought that is questioning Hashem. Forget the actions and the actions we saw. Forget the words we also saw. In his mind, he never asked himself, how can it be for years you tell me not to kill anyone and now you tell me go and kill your son. He did not think that. 
Now you tell me, would you be able not to think that when Hashem come to you and say, take your son after a hundred years you waited for him and go slaughter him? You would not think, how can he do this to me? You would not think, how can he contradict everything he told me until now? You will not say to him, you want, kill, you want to kill someone? Kill me, why killing him? You would say something. He never ever questioned Hashem. That's what's great about Lech Lecha. What is the test over here? If Hashem says, I'm going to make you wealthy, I'm going to make you have your own child, I'm going to make you have hundreds and thousands of people coming out of you. So what is the test that you tell me to go to the land of Canaan? Where is the test if you're giving me such promises? The test is that that's never been the reason why he left. Why are you going, Abraham? Because Hashem said so. Nothing else. I would lose, I would gain. So when he arrived to the land of Canaan, first thing he should have said to Hashem, excuse me God, you sure you brought me to the place you really wanted to take me? I'm sorry for asking, didn't you tell me that it's going to be a place that I'm going to be very wealthy and this and that? I mean, I mean, nobody has what to eat here. Now one question ask. So Avraham, Vayavor Avraham Baaretz Ad Mekom Shechem. He arrived to Nablus, Shechem. Ad Elon Moreh. Ve'aknani az ba'aretz And the Knani, the nation of Knani, this Goim, they are in Israel. Rashi explained, occupying more and more land in the area from whom? Who Eretz Knan belonged to before the Knanim came and stole it? It was belonged to who? to the children of Shem. Who is Shem? Our father. Before Abraham. If you ate a Jew, how do they call someone who hates a Jew? Anti-Semite. Sam is the son of Noah. We, the Hebrews, came from Shem. We owned Israel before Canaan. Some Jews think Hashem gave us the land of Canaan. He kicked out the Canaanim and he gave us the land. The land was ours before Canaan. As Abraham arriving to the place, they are actually occupying every day more and more and more from the children of Shem and kicking them out. Later, Hashem will do justice, will give back to Abraham and his children what the Knani stole from their family. Now I want to ask you, this question every year is raised, what kind of a husband tell his wife, we are going now to a place of ugly, wicked people. I want you now, since you're the prettiest woman in the world, as soon as they see you, obviously they grab you and take you to the king. So if they'll know I'm your husband, immediately they'll kill me. Because they won't keep me alive and take you. You're a married woman. These filthy murderers, they will do everything. They'll kill a person in a second for nothing. But they won't dare to touch a married woman. You know, in history, the Muslims used to do riots. They used to come with horses, with torches and, and swords to the Jewish communities. What? To kidnap pretty girls. To kidnap girls in Yemen, in all these places, Libya. They come now, they go from one tent to another. They see a pretty girl, 14, 12. They grab her by force, that's it, they never see her again. 
Why did the Jews found a solution? They made a rektuba. Since someone was born in a family, since he's a kid and she's a kid, they make a rektuba. They belong to each other. As soon as the Muslim come and grab her, they say, no, no, she's married, look. They check, they leave her alone. They will do everything. They'll kill, but they won't touch a married woman. Abraham knows it. So what's the way they're going to take Sarah in a legal way? By killing me. If they kill me, now she's not married, she's a widow. They can take her to the king. To kill, they have no problem. That's their nature. To kill. You live by your sword. That's the curse of all the children of Esav, which is half of the world. All Americans, all Europeans are children of Esav. Live by the sword. Wars, non-stop wars. Muslim and Arabs, children of Ishmael. The Torah says, wild beast. Robbing, killing, all kinds of things used to do. So right there, four billion people you have. That which would live by the sword and will be wild beasts. Dangerous people. So Abraham knows they're going to kill me in a second. So he said to his wife, say that you are my sister. I, one thing I don't understand. I understand that he's afraid that they're going to kill him. That's normal. Nobody wants to die. But what kind of a solution he gave her? Say that you are my sister. That they should leave me alive. But if they will take your wife to the king, this king, and your wife will have to be with him intimate, can you live a day like this? Knowing that the mother of your children or whatever is in the house of Saddam Hussein. That's what he used to do to people. He used to come to a house, take a married woman, Saddam Hussein was a real monster. Take her to one of the rooms when her children are in a house, do what he does, and live with his bodyguard. Was the, one of the biggest monsters of our generation was this monster in Machshimo Saddam Hussein. No wonder he finished in a hole like a like they shook, they checked his teeth like, like a camel with a flashlight. Remember the camel he had? <laughs> this was about 15 years ago, something like that. Yes, one. Huh? I want to tell you something. One uh, clown in Monsi that knows a little bit about Photoshop took the picture of Saddam Hussein. By then, when they called him, he had a big bushy beard. You know, with lots of hair. So what did he do? He covered the hair with a talit and tefillin. <laughs> and he had a long beard. And he put a sign in Monsi. A big mekubal tzaddik is coming to town on Sunday. <laughs> Nobody realized it's this caliph. <laughs> Until... Sunday was, where is that Mekubal? Here he is! Then the original picture became the joke of the town. How people can be dumb when they see someone with a long beard already Mekubal. So I, wanna, I don't understand. I think that Abraham would ra should rather die than to see his wife taken by, by, by another man, no? Right? Now I'm going to tell you a, a secret, it's a very, very simple secret, but probably you never thought of it. When he told her, said that you are my sister, did he actually tell her to say that she's a single woman? No. You're married to someone else. 
I'm your seed, I'm your brother, your husband is now with us. When they come to you and say, hey, is this your husband? I say, no, my husband is in the other side of the ocean. We are actually looking for him because I want to get a get from him. I want to get divorced. We can't find my husband, so we're looking for him. They won't touch him because now the husband can know nowhere to be found. That's what happened to the poor, miserable Israeli pilot 30-something years ago, Ron Arad. He, his plane crashed by the enemies. They grabbed him in Lebanon and they sent him to Iran and that's it. He's gone. 30 years, his wife is Aguna. Nobody knows what happened to him. The biggest mystery in Israel, this Ron Arad. His wife was in her 20s. He disappeared, and nobody until this day know what happened to him. His wife could never get remarried. Aguna, for the rest of their life. In the time of the Torah, when a soldier went to the war, he used to yeah. give a get to his wife in advance. When I come back, we get remarried. Why? If they capture me, or nobody will ever find my body, or I will drown, or no. If you see I don't come back a few months, go and get remarried. Well, I don't want you to be stuck for the rest of your life. Even though it's written in the Gemara that when a husband died and his widow get remarried, it burns his heart in the upper world. It's upsets him. <laughs> so, Abutai, we have now Abraham saying to Sarah, Imrina achotiat leman yetavli ba'avurech. Big, big, big surprise. When Abraham goes to the war to save Lot and the kings from the other kings, he said to them, I do not want to take from you one tiny thing, even the shoelaces. I don't want to take from you. Even though he deserve it. He occupied it and he, it should have been his. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch anything, not the gold, not the dime, nothing. Don't want anything to do with that. Now he said to Sarah, if you say that you are my sister, they will give me gifts thanks to you. He needs their gifts, the gifts of the Egyptian wicked people. So he wants gifts or he hates gifts. It's written in the Torah, Sone Matanot Ichyeh. Someone that hates gifts would live, meaning longer life, I guess. It's a sgula to live. Why is it? What's wrong with liking gifts? Huh? The more you like gifts, the more corrupted you become. That's what happened to all the politicians. They all get kickbacks under the table. This guy goes to jail and another one and another one. They want all kinds of buy. Give me that, do this for me, do that, send me that, buy me this, do... Once you get used to it, that's all you want. Give me and give me and you call, can you give me, you didn't give me enough, what happened is... It's very, 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 very bad, very dangerous for your character. So I don't understand. I don't understand. Let's try to understand what Avram is telling here. The Chidushe Shmuel is explaining this Midrash. How is... It's very happy, Benjamin. Very happy. 
How is how this how does Abraham knows that they are going to kill him before they take Sarah? And not only that, we have now, if they go kill Abraham, that's murder. They go him allowed to murder? They're not allowed to murder. And if they take Sarah as a married woman, a goy allowed to take a married woman? Also not allowed. If she live with another goy. Christina live with Tony. And John wants to steal Christina from uh, Tony. If he does it, it's a violation for going. Was it smooth? She live with someone else and they dedicate one to another, they can cheat on each other. So now the question is, look, look at this very carefully. If someone that will desire Sarah will kill Abraham, how many sins he's gonna do? One big sin of murder, right? One murder. From now on, the murder will save him from being with a married woman. If he was still Sarah when Abraham is still alive, every time he'll be with her, it's a sin. So he's going to make a thousand sins. So isn't it better to do one sin to kill him? And like this, you'll get saved from a thousand other sins? That's how they would think. Better to kill him now instead of getting every day a new sin. So, if he would live Abraham alive, maybe he will get saved from one big sin of murder, but every time he will touch Sarai, it will become a sin for him. Now I want to ask you, a person that needs to eat meat on Shabbat, the doctor told him you must eat meat. <coughs> You're very sick, you're very weak, you must eat for one month everyday meat. Come Shabbat, today we have refrigerators, so this question is not relevant, but in the old days, you needed to slaughter the animal. Where are we gonna get meat? You have to do it right now, fresh. Are you allowed to slaughter on Shabbat? Not allowed. So now the question is, you have two options. You have to violate Shabbat for the sick person. One, you have to slaughter an animal and eat the meat. Or eat a dead animal that died yesterday and is laying there in the backyard. Wash it, cut a piece of meat from the body, you don't kill it, it was dead already. And you heat it up and you eat. You give it to the poor, to the sick person to eat. What sin is that? Nevela. You're not allowed to eat dead, dead animals. Right? Jews are not allowed. Goim are allowed. They go in, can eat dead animals. It's no, no, no sins for them. They take it, cut it. That's what they do. They hunt deers. You see them coming from north on the Palisades Parkway on a Sunday. I see them. They have deer on the ground. They, they hunted the deer and they go and barbecue it. It's dead already for five hours. By the time they get to Brooklyn or to Long Island. We are not allowed to do it. We're allowed to eat deer if we slaughter it. Nobody eats deers today. Why? Why we don't eat deer? It's very hard to catch a deer. We are lazy people. We have a cow ready, fatty, lots of meat. 
good, the car doesn't run anywhere. <laughs> Come over here, finish, you have one ton of meat. I have to run after a skinny deer for three days to hunt him. But I had one crazy guy, tzaddik, but crazy, who came to Monsi to Arishiva. One day he said to me, I call a deer. Do you have any shochet for me? To come to Shechita? Ma, how did you catch him? Don't, don't ask. We call him, we put him in a car. It's a small one. We want to do barbecue finally to taste how a deer tastes. There was one restaurant in Manhattan that sells deer meat. Venice. Levana. Venice. I they know it from 30 years ago, it was Levana restaurant. Yeah, Levana. No, they don't call it deer meat, they call it Venice. Venice? Venison. Venison? Where this word came from? I, I tell you what, it's interesting. In English you have pig meat, but you don't say pig meat, you say pork. And now you say venison. So, we're learning. Anyway, so after he hung up the phone, he called five minutes later, don't ask. The poor deer died in a car. From a heart attack he died. From panic. He was so upset, that guy, because he loved animals, you know. He always, all his life, was collecting snakes, birds. Tov, Hashem irachem. Anyway, now we have to slaughter an animal on Shabbat for the sick person, or to take from an existing animal dead, nevela. Which one of the two we should do? Meat we must eat. The question is, should we slaughter a new animal? Or we should actually eat from the from a dead body of an animal. Huh? The answer is it's better to slaughter a new animal. Why? When you slaughter, the scene is only one. You're not allowed to slaughter on Shabbat. You slaughter, you made one violation of Shabbat, but you're allowed. Why are you allowed? Because someone's life is in a risk. Pikuach nefesh. If you eat from the meat of the dead animal, every ounce that you eat, kazait, it's a new sin. So if you eat one big bite, one sin. Another bite, another sin, because it's nevela. So every ounce, it's kazait, size of a big olive like the old days, which is 28 gram, one ounce. Like the amount of water in this glass, that's one ounce of meat if it was meat. So it's about a bite, big bite. If you eat from the dead, you took a piece, a steak from the, from the, from the ribs of the dead animal and you, you cooked it, whatever, and now you eat it, every ounce that you eat, it's a separate thing. So in order for you to help the sick person, he ate five ounces, five sins were made. But when you slaughter the animal, only one sin was made. And in both ways, you save the life of a sick person. Does it make a difference? Or once the Torah allows you to break Shabbat to save the life of everyone, it doesn't matter how many times you break Shabbat. i give you an example. If your wife needs to give birth on Shabbat and there's no ambulance, you start the car, one scene. Open the door, the light went on, another scene. Close the door, another scene. Hit the gas, another scene. 
Now you have to make a left turn. Should you blink? No cars behind you. Should you blink? It's another scene. Or it's not necessary. Why are you adding more Chilulei Shabbat? Let me try to get to the hospital with as less as possible violations. Or since right now I'm busy with the life risk, doesn't matter if I broke Shabbat 10 times or 50 times. As long as the life risk did not end, I'm free to break Shabbat to save life. The Torah gave temporary permission. Doesn't make a difference and in Afkamina or once it's allowed, it's allowed. What do you think? What's the law? So the answer is, of course, the less you break Shabbat, the better it is. But now comes a big question. What happened is as results of you trying to save on a Chilulei Shabbat, you delay the process. And the person may die because of it, because you arrive to the hospital a minute or two later. So the answer is, when there is Chilulei Shabbat, if without hurting the health of the sick person, you can do less Chilulei Shabbat, absolutely it's your obligation. Meaning, if you can do it now and there's a goy there, the goy can drive you. The entire ride is 20 minutes to the hospital, you have to press the gas 500 times. Why would you do it as a Jew if you have a friend that is a goy, happened to be your neighbor and he was standing right there? So you're taking your wife out of the house and the goy say, oh, let me drive you, you're religious. Very good. The goy is going to drive, you did not break Shabbat. Oh, no. I want to I wanna do it. Why? Why should I use the goy? It's not a sin now, it's a mitzvah. Now to break Shabbat to save a life, it became a mitzvah. Why should I give it to the goy? The mitzvah of saving life. This question is not easy. Very complicated question. Should we use someone else? I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint. If someone in a community is sick and he needs to be drive, driven to the hospital, who should do it? One of the people of the shul or the actual rabbi? Huh? What do you think? The actual rabbi. The rabbi should drive him to, to the shul. Why? Why the rabbi shouldn't take one person that is barely Shomer Shabbat. Anyways, behind the scene, breaking Shabbat anyway. Hey, you, Itzik, come in. Can you drive her? She's very sick. Can you drive her to the hospital? Why me? I'm not going. You have a going. <laughs> anyway, come on. Behind our back, you park the car two blocks away from the shul. Should he use him knowing he's Mechalel Shabbat? Or the actual rabbi should grab the key and drive the person to the hospital. What do you think? We learn it from Shmaya Nafadim. The actual rabbi should do it. Why? That the community will learn and next time when they see a life risk, they will not fear to start the car and run, take the person. The rabbi did it. I'm safe. <coughs> if the rabbi would say, there's a life risk. I need someone to drive him to the hospital. Everybody said, look at this rabbi, how he watch his own, his own safety. He used one of us to be Mechalel Shabbat. But he will never dare to drive to the hospital. That's why the rabbi said, no, no, I have to take them. Why? Why should I give you the mitzvah? 
It's my mitzvah. So what do you think is the answer? You have a week to give me an answer. Doesn't make a difference between how many times you break Shabbat to save life, or since it became mitzvah, it's really no difference. The Gemara discussed this. Philosophical halacha question. Time is running out. Now there is a fight between the shepherds of Lot and Avraham. Lot and Avraham look exactly the same. You have to remember that until Avraham Avinu, nobody got, nobody got old. All people in the world stay young forever. Forever young. So, a father that is 60 and a son that is 20 look alike exactly. Because remember, the father stay like he's 20 and his son now is 20, so they look like two twins. So since Lot is the nephew of Avraham, Lot looks exactly like Avraham. Avraham gave Lot sheep. Here, you, will, you are wealthy before I die. Don't retail him that I die. That <laughs> reminds me, maybe <laughs> 10 years ago, one Hasid from Boro Park knocked on my door in Monsi. Shulem Aleichem, who's Mahsteid? Alice Git, Zitz. Top, we begin. What are you selling? I'm an insurance broker. I sell life insurance. So, no, thank you. I don't need life insurance. Not for you. You buy a premium on one old man that I know. Once he dies, you will make a million dollars. It will cost you about $300 a month, the premium. And now you have to retail him that he should die. The faster he dies, the more you're going to make money. The, the longer it will take him to die, you're going to have to lay out $300 every month. <laughs> so I say to him, who knows how many people you already sold that policy to? It's many. I said, those are half of the Jewish nation is praying that this old man will die already. But then came the catch. The catch was, he said, I'll tell you why it's a wonderful deal. This old man, the government think that is the insurance policy, they think that he's 70 but he's really 80. Why? The country where he came from, they did not have good papers for the age of a person. So we know he's really 80, but in his passport it shows that he's 70. So that means any minute he's gonna die. He's already 80. Do you know what it is between 70 to 80? Most people die in this age. 99% die between 70 and 80. Some people make it older than 80. So I asked him, you have to see the smile on his face, like he's selling me a diamond for a price of a little glass. So I say to him, well, I don't understand, but that's a scam. That's not kosher. You're deceiving the insurance company. You have to see his eyes. For the first time, it occurred to him that something here is not kosher. I couldn't even think about it until now. They made a mistake. Let's take advantage on them. You're allowed to deceive the goyim? 
got the shock of his life. From that moment on, he did everything he can to run quickly out of my house because the embarrassment was very big now. After he confessed with such a smile, he just told him it's not kosher. Why? You're not allowed to take the money from them. They only agreed to give you a million dollars because hoping by age 70 something, if he didn't die, they took your premium, they're willing to take the risk. Obviously, they wouldn't agree to the deal if they know he's 80. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to have to pay 5,000 a month premium. Or 10,000 a month, not 300. It's deceiving. What do you mean? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a company. It's not a person. It's not a Jew. Beloni. No permission to steal from anyone. Jews, non-Jews, anyone. So the shepherds of Lord, they steal grass. Not medical grass. <laughs> grass for the sheep. The sheep goes everywhere and eat in private properties. People own uh, yards. Everywhere. The shepherds of Abraham say, what are you doing? It's stealing. Abraham is so honest and everybody knows he's righteous. And now people see your sheep, they think the sheep of Abraham is stealing. Because you look exactly like Abraham, your master, Lot. Nobody knows what sheep belongs to you or to him. They see one day they see you, one day they see him. You're ruining the reputation of the legendary Abraham. What's the answers of the shepherds of Lot? Ah, you don't know halacha. God already promised Abraham that this whole land will be his. It's just a matter of time. He's going to kick all the people from here, this going. So who cares if it's now or another year? Anyway, it will belong to Abraham. Stupid claim. If someone is about to lose his house in a year, you're allowed to go there now and take stuff from there now. There's another year that he owns the house. So that's really the, the arguments over here. Now, if you remember, if you remember, so that's by the way explain how Sarah was, was 75 years old, right? Abraham was 75 when they left, Sarah was 65. When they come now to Egypt, she's an old woman. What woman close to 70 years old, she's the prettiest in the world, with all due respect. She used to be maybe 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Now she's almost 70 years old. How exactly she's the prettiest in the world? That's exactly what I just said. There was no aging. She remained like a, like a teenager. There's no wrinkles, nobody loses their hair, nobody has stress, everyone look young. Avraham asked Hashem to do that father and son would not look alike that people will be able to tell the difference. That was Abraham's request. But until then, there was no way to know. And later, back then, when a person started to sneeze, boom, as soon as he sneezed, he died. That's why we say in Hebrew, la briut. When someone sneezes, what does it have to do with good health? Right? Why? Because in the old days, when someone sneezed, that's the minute the soul left the body and he died. But uh, who 
was that? Yaakov that asked for sicknesses, give a person time to do tshuva. Yaakov said to Hashem, Dear God, person sneeze and he die, he doesn't have time to do tshuva. Bring some sicknesses, give a person a ear that is dying slowly. Few months cancer, or he gets old, I can barely walk. We all know where he's going to. But in the meantime, he has time to leave the world in a slow motion, not all in one second. So slowly, slowly, the world, as you can see, has changed. You know the secret, do you remember when I once explained to you the secret of the, of the dot, of the sheen, goes to the left, go to the right? Based on your faces, you forgot. So, Abraham said to Lord, Ipared na me'alai, we are brothers, we should not fight. Let's separate. Sometimes separation is the best advice to achieve peace. That's what happened between Yaakov and Esav, what will happen soon few more weeks. Esav come to kill Yaakov with 400 men. In the end they make peace, hug him, kiss him. And then he said, let's go together. Let's join as a one family. And what did Yaakov do? Everything he can to separate from his wicked brother. Sometimes people tell me, Rabbi, but this is my brother. How can I not invite him to my house? Very nice that he's your brother, but he's very wicked. And his girls are naked. And his sons are Shemirachem, what they watch all day, what, what words come out of their mouth. You're going to bring them, they're going to be six hours in your house. In six hours you destroyed all your religious children. In one visit. You want to visit them, you go to them. Do not put your holy children that grow up in good yeshiva with these children from the public school who watch dirty things online all day. That's a disaster. You're mixing between religious kids from a cheder into their cousin who grew up in Manhattan or in Florida, Miami Beach, and walk naked every day on the beach over there and watch all the dirty things on television and hurt cursing all the time and eat not kosher food and you put them six hours with your children, that's all it needs to destroy the eternity of your children. Six hours, that's it. Sometimes two hours. I've seen it thousands of times. Ah, but you don't know what happened. My husband brought his brother and the, and the family. They were here for a week. That's it. All my kids became going. That's it. You have to see what they talk about, what words. One week together with their cousins. Why you go to family parties? They're not kosher parties. Ah, but I have to go. They came to our wedding. Your wedding was kosher. Was according to the law. They had no reason not to come. You cannot enter their place. It's a crime against God. You cannot enter a place and commit a crime against Hashem. You cannot do it. With all the love to your brother, Hashem comes before your brother. Problem with people that they go by the heart, not by the brain. They follow their feelings. We can never let the feelings overcome our brain. Never. Rabbi, it's my brother. How can I not release him on bail? That he should go right back to the drugs, keep him over there for six months, for his own good. No, Rabbi is not a drug addict, but how can I not release him? I need to give $10,000 to release my brother from jail, but your brother is a secular guy, so he deserves to be in jail? 
he's gonna go to his wife and they're gonna have intimacy and she doesn't go to the mikveh and both of them get karet. Whether he will be there a week until the trial. In one week he saved him from three or four karet. That's real love. Let him sit over there watch basketball. At least while he's there, he doesn't make sins with his wife because she doesn't go to the mikveh. That's what the Chazoni say. It's not my opinion. Chazoni say to someone, leave him in jail. Unless he signed to you that if you release him, he's gonna, never going to touch her without mikveh. If he promised, you can believe him. You release him, if, whatever. If he doesn't keep his promise, at least you are clean. You did not cooperate with the criminal. There's a lot of things to learn. Today I got a question on my way here from Israel. One Yemenite Baal Tshuva of mine. It's only 10 months Baal Tshuva, more or less. So he went to a store and a drug addict came in, in Israel. He wanted to buy this pipe and the drug addict used to smoke. What's the name of the pipe? Naduka. For the glass. A bong? Bong. Bong. Bang, a bang. Bang's bang. Top. So a bang. How much a bang cost in Israel, plastic one? Five shekel. One and a half dollars. Five shekel. A piece of plastic, whatever. He didn't have. Drag at him. So the girl that's sell by the counter, the drug addict is begging her, do me a favor, give it to me, I promise you I'll come another day, I'll give you the five shekel. Come on, don't do this to me, I need it. She said, I'm gonna get fired, oh, they have cameras here, I can't do it. So can't you lend me five dollars from your own pocket? You know how they are. It's never gonna end. <laughs> the money is standing over there. Say, brother, give me five shekel. What's five shekel for you? I need it. Now he was thinking, should I give him the five shekel that he should buy this bond, knowing he's gonna go smoke drugs with that every day? If I will give it to him, I'm cooperating with his crime. If I don't give it to him, what do you think is gonna happen? He's gonna go break someone's car, steal something that worth at least five shekel because he needs that bond. He will get the five shekel one way or the other. So the question is, if I'll give it to him now, I'm actually preventing a crime that an innocent Jew glass of the car will be smashed. So did I do good that I gave him the five shekel? You know how people always ask after they do? They want to know if they did the right thing or not. When you ask a question, you have to ask before. So what is the answer? Was he allowed to give him the five shekel to buy the bang or no? If you say no, what about that he's gonna go and break someone's car and, and a glass alone is two, three hundred dollars? That's what they do. Breaking glass and steal something from the car. Anything that has a value. I remember when I got my first car, I was young, my father bought me a car. My, my father gave me a speech. He said to me, make sure that no one ever leave a pack of cigarettes in your car. I don't know who you're gonna give the rights to, friends, this. Make sure when they leave the car that there's never ever a pack of cigarettes left inside the car. 
pack of cigarettes was two shekels back then. I said to him, why, what's a pack of cigarettes? He said to me, you do not smoke, so you don't understand what happened to a man that needs a cigarette after a meal and he cannot find. If you walk in the street now and you will see a pack of cigarettes in your car, gonna smash your window just to get a cigarette. Make sure. That's when I understood how miserable all the smokers are. They became the slave of the cigarette. I want to ask you a question. An honest question. In the entire world, where do you find the best romantic relationship ever between two individuals. The best love story. Huh? No? A love greater than any love you ever seen. The love between the smoker and his cigarette. <laughs> the cigarette is burning and dying for him. And he is dying for him. <laughs> Such a beautiful love. Everyone dies from the other. For the other. Anyway, Abraham said to Lord, let's separate. You have enough, I have enough. I will let you choose. If you go left, I go right. If you go right, I go left. This ungrateful Rasha, Lord, it goes like this. Over there, ma, it's all green. I'm gonna go there. Meaning you have run, go to the desert. There's nothing to eat for the sheep. The sheep will all be skinny. A fat goat, 300 bucks. A skinny one, 150. You have 10,000 of them. Big difference. They don't have what to eat. They stay skinny. Nobody wants to buy them. It's bad for business. I'm giving you a gift. Wouldn't you give me the courtesy first to choose? No, uncle, you all there. You give me everything I have. Whenever you go, I'll go to the opposite side. And what do you think Abraham would choose? The desert. Tzaddik would choose the desert. You go first. You. So, he decided to choose the green side. I want to ask you a question. How do you write me'aser? When you have to give 10% of your net income? Me'aser. Mem, ayin, shin, and resh. Four letters. Mem, ayin, shin, and resh. How do you spell me'aser? Same exact thing. There's only one tiny difference. The dot above the sheen, right? The vowels, one of them is a dot. If the dot is on the right side, it's measher. If the dot is on the left side of the sheen, it's measher. The sheen can be read as sh or s, like sin. Sheen, sin. Depend on what side is the dot. The Gaon Mivilna say there's a big secret about the Parnassah over here. If 
everyone, whatever money he makes, he has to give 10% of his net income for charity. So that means if you are me'aser, I make sure you'll be rich. I'll give you my word, guaranteed. You're allowed to test me on this mitzvah only. If I will not multiply your wealth with no boundaries. That's the verse. Arbe lachem ad blidai. Until you're going to be up to here with the wealth, you don't know what to do with what you have. If you stick to giving 10% of your net income. That means if you put the dot on the left, I will move it to the right and I will make you rich. Me asher, I'll make you rich. Asher means wealthy. Me asher, it means make someone wealthy. So if you put the dot on the left, that's what the verse says. Abraham said to him, if you go left, I go right. If you go right, I go left. The God of Vilna said that's the secret of the Parnassah and the Nasir. If you put the dot on the left, Hashem is going to move it to the right. You want to do Maser, you give 10%, Hashem moves the dot to the right, you become Ashir, very rich. But if you don't want to give, meaning you want to make yourself wealthy by stealing the charity that you have to give, so you put the dot on the right because you want to make yourself rich, Hashem is going to move the dot from the right to the left and leave you 10% of what you have and 90% from you you would lose. That's now you understand why so many wealthy people accumulate wealth and shit. In one shot, 90% was wired to Bernie Madoff. <laughs> you understand? Now I want to ask you a question. Who is the biggest murderer of our generation? Meaning that we know in modern days. You don't know? Who is the biggest monster in, in the modern history? Adolf Hitler. Everybody agree on that? He killed more than 50 million people. Stalin, how much? How many kids? Also 50? More. Top. Say, say Hitler, say Stalin. I think most people are afraid more than Hitler than Stalin. Sure. No, Mao so I, I never thought that in a lecture there will be a debate if anyone is worse than Hitler or not. <laughs> that, that's a big surprise to me. I thought that it's unanimous decision. Who is the biggest monster? Hitler. All of a sudden you have Mao Zedong. And you have who else you say? Oh, no. Stalin. <laughs> and who else? You're going to pull up someone else from the sleep. King Jong Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un killed maybe two, two mouse, mice. How many people he killed? He's planning to kill, but not yet. Anyway, <laughs> let's stay with Hitler, not to ruin the story. <coughs> who is the biggest thief of modern days? Bernie Madoff stole about 60 billion. So the one who killed the most is Hitler. The one who stole the most are, is Bernie Madoff. Who can tell me what is the two good things that we can learn from these two criminals? They commit. What can you learn? Even from a monster, there is something that you can learn. Or from the biggest thief. 
Why it's important to learn from negative people something positive? Let's see who is smart here. Why if I can give you an example from a holy rabbi or from a big criminal, I would rather give you an example of something positive from a big criminal than from a big rabbi. Why would I do such thing? Because once we hear that a monster did something so positive, it makes us much more obligated. I'm nothing bad like him, and if he did such a great thing, needless to say that I must do. But if I will tell you that uh, Baba Sali did it, or Chacham Ovadia Yosef, then you say, oh, of course, Baba Sali is only, what are you giving me an example of Baba Sali? When I'll be Baba Sali, I will also do it. But if I say to you, Hitler did it, so then I better do it. No, I don't want to be worse than Hitler. You got the point? It's called Kalmachomer. Needless to say. <laughs> Two stories. We'll start with Madoff or Adolf? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that should be the title of the lecture tonight. Adolf versus Madoff. <laughs> People will get curious. So, Bernie Madoff, <laughs> after he was put in jail, it took you two hours to get. after he put, after they put him in jail, you know, he lived the life of a king. He had many mansions and chauffeurs and... I don't think anyone in New York live a life, fancy life like he had. Better than a king. Some kings in the world didn't live the life he had. Now they're about to throw him in an old cell with a, with a mutual bathroom. You, know you know what a punishment it is for someone who lived like a king and drove a Rolls Royce everywhere with driver and one bow down to him in a business world knowing politicians, the power. Just that alone is sometimes worse than an actual death sentence. The, the, the IRS came to him and said, Bernie, we have an offer for you. Give us a list of all the people who invested money by you all these years, that had unclean money and they invested by you and they took interest without reporting it. If you give us the list of all your customers, we will make a special suite for you in a jail like a king. Television, good foods, everything separate than the rest of the jail. Meaning you live to the rest of your life in good condition. You have your own bathroom, your own shower. But if not, we'll make sure that every second you'll be here will be hell for you. Now what do you think someone like him Sure. would have said. Someone who got used to the good life, he will do everything he can not to be sitting in the same bathroom with another 500 prisoners, especially when there's no doors. He said to them, it's enough, I made so many of my customers miserable by stealing their money and making them lose all of that. You want me now to give you their names that you go after them for the little they have left? Torture me as much as you want, I'm not giving you one name. That's not an easy test. 
that's made of something to learn from the biggest thief of the modern days. What can you learn from Adolf Imachimo? When the Nazis were fighting the Russians, you know, Russian Cossacks, Vladimir, this, Alex, Vadim, all these Russians, they're not they're not the soldiers of the Israeli army. Hi, Ahmed. Why should we fight? Let's be friends. You know, that's the soldiers today. The Russian with a few vodkas, they're now in a mood to, to fight. <laughs> so, the Nazis were losing the war to the Russians. So what happened? Hitler had the root canal in Machshimo. He had to go to the dentist. The doctor was about to give him anesthesia. Root canal, you know the pain of root canal? can kill you from the pain. goes into the brain directly. Hitler said, this root canal you do without anesthesia. Someone, you're out of your mind. You're going to faint from the pain. He said to him, my soldiers are dying fighting these monster Russians right now. And you want me to get an anesthesia when you fix my tooth? They suffer. I will suffer. Nobody would know. He's alone with the dentist in a room. If the biggest monsters of modern days, or perhaps of the entire days of the world, was thinking about the soldiers who are fighting the Russians, how much they suffer, he should suffer just as much. What does it tell us when the Torah tells you there is an obligation like this in the Torah. All your friends are suffering. Run and help. Don't pretend you don't see. Someone has a tragedy. Run to help. Don't pretend you're out of town. Don't close the shades. I'm not home. Everybody cry. Join the crying. Everyone is dancing. Join the dancing. You are nothing different and nothing special. Doesn't matter how rich you are, how great of a Talmud Chacham you are. Everyone clean, run to clean. That's what the Torah said. That's rule number one in being a human being. Last Thursday I gave a whole lecture about manners. You should watch it. We all need it. Being religious but have no manners. No behaving. No derech eretz. Now we learn, Baruch Hashem, the secret of the Parnassah and the Maaser. Lot chose the Jordan River, because there's water there. Everything is green. Where else we found in the Torah that there was a very good productive area, the other side of the Jordan River? When Shevet God and Reuven and Chatsi Menashe, they told Moshe Rabbeinu, we don't want to live inside Israel. We want to live on the other side. Why over here there's a lot of food for the sheep? So we see that this area was very green and good. The sheep can eat and eat and become fat and the cows. Top. But I want to ask you a question. The Pasuk says, Lot wet from from east to what direction? He was in the east side. 
he went to where to the west side. The question is, in, it's written in a verse that Avraham Avinu was between Bethel and the eye, meaning on the north of Jerusalem. It doesn't add up. So what direction Lot went? Lot left Abraham, and we all know where he ended. Where did he really go to? To San Francisco. San Francisco is in the west. It's not over there. Sodom, it's all the way on the south, towards Egypt, south of Israel, the bottom of Israel. So he looked to the green side, which is the west side of the Jordan, towards Jordan, the country, if you know the map. But he went towards Egypt. Eventually, he finished over there in Sodom. That's when he joined the Supreme Court of the leftiest. The day he arrived there, they made him a judge. So the question is, what's really happening here? The task to raise up 400 years ago. He writes that Lord was very corrupted and very greedy, as we all know. And already he became complete Russia with his faith, with his behaving to Hashem, with his gratefulness that didn't exist. So he wants to move from the from the holiest person in the world, Abraham, to go live with the most wicked people in the history of the world, almost. Sodom and Gomorrah, Hashem just burned them all alive. This was the end. Fire came from heaven and all of them, hundreds of thousands of them died. Right, gays, women married with two men in the same house, people with animals, everybody steal from everybody. They made rules that you cannot believe. If you have guests in your house, you get executed. If you do chesed, you get executed. All kinds of laws that nobody would believe that there would be such a corrupted people. That's where he wants to move. He wants to move from Jerusalem, from Mea Sha'arim, to the worst neighborhood in the world. How can it be? That's who he is. Person go to live where his mind is. That's why a lot of people wants to move to all kinds of places with beaches. They're not afraid that there's all day we naked women everywhere and they walk in the street like that and everybody over there with no clothes and it's hot all the time and their religious children will see naked people all the time and they become like them. They're not afraid that there's so many filthy people in the buildings and every lobby and every restaurant you go, you're going to see them. They're not afraid. They want to have a boat in Miami Beach. They want to have the life around. Just because we're religious doesn't mean we don't have to enjoy life. Oh, enjoy life. The problem is that this pleasure of your enjoyment will get you a first straw in hell. When a lot of other people wanted to have pleasure and they sold Hashem for their momentary pleasure. That's the problem. If you were able to keep yourself in a holy place, even if the state is not good, but you would isolate yourself from all the wicked people and you learn and all that, okay, at least you did not expose your children to such nightmare. But if, if you move to a place and your children were used to a religious environment and now all they see is 
weak and naked people and they horrible behaving and the place is full of filth in the air. In Hebrew, the air called Avira. Avira means atmosphere. The word atmosphere and the word air is the same word. In English, it's two different words. Air, it's air. In atmosphere, it's atmosphere. Meaning the environment. In Hebrew, the environment and the air is the same word. Because the environment con contaminates the air that you breathe. That's what's happened. So now, Abutai, Lord say to Abraham Avinu, I need, I need to move to there. But in his mind, where is he going? To Sodom. He leaves the house of Abraham, pretending he's going west. After a few hundred yards, he looked, there's no more Abraham. Right away, he made a turn and went to Sodom. That's what we would do if a kid wants to go off the derech. His father asks him, so where do you want to go on vacation? What is he going to tell him? I'm going to India? So where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. So he pretends he buy a flight to Jerusalem. While he's in the airport, exchange it to India. Going to Mumbai. Mumbai. I want to finish with a story about going to India will leave you speechless for the next week. I told that story 15 years ago. Now, it just came back to my mind. There was a girl here in New York, in Forest Hills, Garden. Her husband is a very rich Jewish man, businessman. His wife died. He had this girl, her name is Shlomit. Shulamis in English. Shulamis. Shulamis. She was a religious girl. When she was 12, her mother passed. Now a few more years passed by, she lost her faith. Sometimes when a parent died, the kids lose their faith, unfortunately. Because kids and women are acting based on their feelings. If they're happy, they're willing to cooperate. If they're upset, they, don't, they won't do anything. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense, doesn't make sense. The right thing, the wrong thing, that's not so relevant. If I'm happy with you, I will cooperate with you. If you're a good husband, you treat me nice, you're loyal to me, you give me and all that, I will be Muslim for you, I'll be Christian for you, I'll join a cult for you, whatever you tell me, I'm with you. If you're nasty to me, you put me down, every little thing I fight you. That's the nature of women and children. Same thing. You give compliments to the kids, you buy them toys, you give them the attention, you give them all kinds of money, wow, they love you. As soon as you come, they run, they argue. You give them a smack or two, or you scream at them every time they see you, I don't have to tell you how they react. So obviously they won't want to get any advice from you, because they, they hardly want to talk to you. Why women and children are motivated based on feelings. Make her happy, she'll give you the world. Make her upset, a needle she won't give you. And even if she give it to you because she's afraid of you, the same thing the kid. He's doing it for you right now because he's only he's afraid. But as soon as he will be independent, you won't get, you won't get anything from that. 
So that's the way it is. So the key to make your wife religious is treat her extra like a queen. Three months like this, everything you want she will do. You prove to her, you don't prove to her, there is Hashem, the Torah, Mount Sinai, Torah and Science, Purpose of Life. Women, just make them happy. They do everything for you. That's the secret here. So now this girl Shulamis, her mother died, so she lost faith. Now she's 17, 18, she wants to go with her friends on a trip. Back then he was in style to go to Goa. You know what Goa? A beach of corrupted people in India. Drugs, naked, parties, all day drugs. That's where she wants to go. She comes to her father. She said to him, I need $10,000 for my trip. I am going with my friends on a six-month trip. Where are you going? To India. Religious men, India. What do you want to go for, to India for? I want to go on a trip. But what kind of a religious girl from a yeshiva wants to go to India? What are you going to do over there? Dad, I'm sorry to break it up to you. I'm not who I used to be. I didn't want to upset you. I'm not religious anymore. Not Shomer Shabbos. I'm not Makbidon Kashrut. Next to you I am, putting the show. But that's it. I had it. From now, I'm on my own. I'm 18. Leave me alone. You want to give me the money for the trip? Here is your money. Don't contact me. Don't send me anything. I don't want anything to do with you. I had one girl left. You want to be a Goya? Go and be Goya, but don't be in touch with me. You're not my daughter anymore. She got on a plane and left. She's going to India now. So she's, uh, she had some money. At one point, after a few months, the money is running out. So she found a way to make jewelry. Silver jewelry, you know, handmade, all kinds of things. She sell them in flea markets with other Americans. Over there, who did she meet? An Israeli guy. Complete secular, all day bangs, you know. That's there, that's what used to be there 25, 30 years ago. In the meantime, one time they have a flea market and she meets an American friend from Queens. Hi, Shulamis, how are you? I'm so sorry for what happened to your father. What happened to my father? What? You don't know? Oh my God. Two months ago he got a heart attack and he died. How come we don't know? Wow, I wasn't in touch with him. She screams, she cries. She runs home to her boyfriend. Wow, I feel terrible. Look what I did to my father. I killed him. So she said to her boyfriend, Listen, I want you now to take me to the holiest place in the world for the Jews that I should ask God to forgive me for what I did to my father. This Israeli banghead, what does he know from his life, holy place? The only holy place that secular Israeli know is the Kotel. 
the Western world. And everybody knows, even the Goyim. So he said to her, the only holy place I know is the Kotel HaMaravi in Jerusalem. You want to fly now to Israel? Yes! Buy two tickets and let's go. They buy the tickets. Right away, the same day, they get on the flight. They arrive to the Kotel. She goes to the women's section, you know, the wall. She stands over there, she doesn't know what to do. She's an American, she's already six years not religious. She doesn't know, first time she's there. She's standing and looking at the wall, and she sees all the people praying and people putting notes. One religious woman looked at her and she said, can I help you? She said, no, I don't know, first time I'm here. She says, so go into the wall and pray. Maybe you put a note. Do you have a, do you have a note here? I can uh, give you a piece of paper and a pen. Write, write down your request from God. She took the thing, she wrote what she wrote, she folded the paper. The religious woman told her, you see the separation, the, the fence? Climb on that chair and put it right above. Because every other hole is already full with notes. Maybe you'll find over there a place to stick it. She get on a chair, she stuck it in a hole, but another note from that hole fell on the other side of the fence, on the floor. So she's, she's a nice person. She's thinking, it's not fair. I put my note and someone else's note fell. I better put it back. So she crawled on the floor, she puts her hand, you know, the mechitza has a little bit space in the bottom. So she puts her hand like this, she found the note. She took the note, it started to open. Now a Jew has a note of someone else in his hand. From zero to hundred. What's the percentage that he's gonna read the letter? Huh? 99% that out of curiosity would want to see what other person wrote, no? It's against the halakha to read someone else's notes. That's what most people don't know. And I love to read other people's mail. Mara talks about it. It's a sin. Open someone's mail and read it, unless they gave you permission. You learn not to push your notes to people's private life. So, she doesn't know halakhot, she opened the notes, and she began to read, Dear God, I'm very sick. I don't have that much time left, I know it. Since I lost my wife and then I lost my daughter and I have nothing else left in my, my world, I have only one request from you. That my daughter Shulamis, that my daughter Shulamis will never end getting married to an Anjou. And no matter where she is, make sure she'll find a Jew, she'll get married and do tshuva, and you know I left all my money by the trust for her. For the day that she will do tshuva, she can go and claim everything. That was the letter. Which letter? Her father wrote it. The letter of her father fell from the wall. What are the odds? What are the odds? She ran quickly to that bang head and she told him, listen, Itzik, the picnic is finished. Look at my father's note. As much as he was uh, <laughs> back then, you know. 
he touched his heart, he said, okay, so we have to now move to Israel and become religious. She went, she took all the money from the lawyer, they bought an apartment in the old city. She had five kids in yeshivot. And she sent that story to Avraham Velder, you know, the one who said, write unbelievable stories that happen to people. So eventually, the request that this poor man had after he lost his wife and the daughter, I want to give her everything, but all I'm asking you that she will not get assimilated with some Indian guy in India, who knows what's going to be the end. And Hashem actually did that miracle for him, but he not only did the miracle for him, he did the miracle for him in such a way that she will come to the world. It's obviously can never be coincidence. That's a little bit similar if you saw my, a year ago my, the, the film that I cut the hair of this guy, Noah, the Israeli guy, that had long hair. When I went to Las Vegas, I come to the building there. They tell me, Shabbaton, I see, they pray, Mincha, Erev Shabbat, see a guy, long hair, brown hat, look like a rock star. Look like a rock and roll band, you know, those uh, Rolling Stones guitar players, that's how he was looking, with all his hair. What is this guy, Kazan, in the shul now? Then they tell me, Rabbi, you have to speak before Arvid. Half an hour he sits first row with all his hair. All I talked about is the hair and how much problems it makes a, a man's life. <laughs> I killed the guy. Then we went outside to the hallway, he said, what, the whole, the whole speech was about me? Started to talk to him. A week later, we brought him to the Yeshiva in Monsi. Now, Baruch Hashem, I brought Caesar, Noach, we can be getting your hair, we can off your hair. We took a video, put it on Facebook, and the whole world watched it. It's the big Kiddush Hashem, how much hair he After a few days, he comes, he's in Yeshiva, he said to me, that's it, I have to go back to work. Every day I'm here, I'm losing hundreds of dollars at work. How long will I stay here? I say to him, the, the Parnassah is in Hashem's hand. The Parnassah is not because you sell in the malls of Vegas over there. Whatever Hashem wants, you're going to have. Ah, I have to think about it. I already have a ticket. <coughs> I have a ticket to go back. I say, change the ticket. Don't go back. But he was hesitating. Money, it's a big Yetzirah. He loves Torah, he enjoyed the yeshiva, but he's thinking, I'm losing money every day. He got a phone call. Rabotai, this is recorded. If you want, I'll put you in contact with him. Benji, you heard the story? You, heard, you were in my house when we told that story, when he was there, no? Remember that or no? Was he old? No, maybe not. Him. So he gets a phone call. A Goya from Las Vegas, a Jewish girl. She used to be his partner in uh, selling cosmetic. They had a big fight. She owed him $20,000. She refused to pay. No matter what, threats, screaming, cursing, fighting. She, I'll die and I won't give you back the money. It's been years. Years. He tried everything with her, nothing else. She is not scared, nothing. She refused to give back the money. An hour after I told him, don't worry. 
the parnasa is in the hand of Hashem, he gets a phone call from this Goya. Noach? Yes? Whatever her name is. I'm sorry. I would like to meet you and give you back your $20,000. After years. But he did everything he can to get the money out of her. He said to her, what? Why all of a sudden made you call me after I fought you and cursed you and screamed at you and sent you people? You fought, you risked your life not to give back the money. Now all of a sudden you're calling me, you want to give me the money just like that? What's really happening here? She said to him, I don't know, you think I'm crazy. I started to listen to this rabbi. He gives these lectures, Rabbi Mizrahi, you heard about it? It's an hour after I spoke to him. An hour. I started to listen to this rabbi, and today he spoke about non-Jews, if they steal, it's that penalty, and they, they lose their shirt to the world to come. I don't want to get so, such a punishment. So let me give you back your money. So he comes to me a few hours later, says, I'm not going to believe what happened. It's going out of nowhere, now sending me 20 times. She did send him the money. But why did Hashem give him back the money? Because he stayed in yeshiva. He could have given him back the money in many different ways. <coughs> but he wanted to give him the money through me. Because I'm the one who told him, you come to the yeshiva, you sit and you learn, there's no chance you ever lose money for being here. You can never lose. It cannot be that you will do what Hashem wants you to do and sacrifice and give up money and customers or whatever you give up. And as results of that, Hashem will make you lose. It cannot be. We will not do it one to another. Hashem is not worse than us. And to make it clear, Hashem gave him the money through this Goya. Hashem sent that Goya to a YouTube video. Goya to to listen to me about Gezel. Look how many miracles. First, that she would want to hear Rabbi. Second, she would find me. Third, she would find the topic about stealing. Fourth, that she's going to find him. All of that, and in the same day that I told him, don't worry, Hashem will send you the money, and now I'm I have a guy <laughs> that Baruch Hashem is my main supporter in my yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Give them the amount, and the rest come from a few other people. One time, maybe ten years ago, he calls me up, and he said to me, Rabbi, what's the point of all of this? You're gonna keep giving money to all these people. They learn Torah, learn, 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 learn. Where is it gonna ever gonna lead? To where? They're just gonna sit and learn, and learn Torah until they die, and I'm gonna have to send every man money. I say to him, it's not the way you describe it. They learn Torah, and they become rabbis, and then they go, and they teach Torah, and they answer women questions about the nida, if they can be with their husband or not, about shechita, about money delegation. They, they become very productive. So that's what they do. I say, right now they learn Masechet Nida. They will learn how to answer a woman a question if the blood she has is pure or impure. Can you be with your husband tonight, or you cannot? It's very difficult. Not that many rabbis know how to answer questions like this. You need years of learning and shimush. He said to me, I don't know. I have to think about it. So he wants to stop his support to the yeshiva. If he stops, the yeshiva collapse. That's it. 
<laughs> I said, what are we going to do? Talk. I say what I say. The next morning, he goes to Dafyomi. I learned Dafyomi. Oh, before I hung up the phone with him, I saw he's still not convinced. I told him, listen, David Amelech, you admire him? He wrote Tehilim. He's the greatest person, one of the greatest ever lived. He said to Hashem, all the kings in the world enjoy life and material and they have, you know, like a king. And me, I check women clothes to tell them if they're pure for their husband or not. Just like a regular, simple, ordinary rabbi. I'm not even a king. I'm a servant of the public. So I told him that. David Amelech did it, and you said that the guys in yeshiva, it's not important enough. If it wouldn't be important, the king of Israel would do such thing. So that almost convinced him, but it still wasn't 100%. The next morning he goes to the, to the Daf Yomi in the shul. <coughs> what was the subject that day? David Amelech was checking. He calls me up 11 a.m. the next day. Rabbi, Hashem loves you. <laughs> Guess what was the Daf Yomi today? Story told me last night. David Amelech. But it's very touchy. I said, so we are on? We are on, Baruch Hashem. Ten years later now. We just had a brief. He became a grandfather Sunday. The idea is, sometimes Hashem will make you a miracle, but you have to see the timing. Timing is everything. If the Daf Yomi would be two weeks later, right? They won't help me that much. If the decision would already be made, he would say, that's it, I'm done. And two weeks later, he would see it. I won't, I won't make a difference. That's it. He got rid of it, finished. But that came right when he was not sure if to do it or not. What's the biggest, the greatest news in this story? Let's see who is really clever in. Which story? What's the greatest thing in the story I just told you now? That we should go, I should go out to the street and dance from happiness. No? Who knows? I'm going to answer you with a short story. In the Haggadah of Pesach, we said that they made Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah the president of Israel when he was only 18 years old. Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Areani keben shivim shana, I'm like seven years old because he was reincarnation of Shmuel. Shmuel the prophet, past 52. And now in his new life, he's 18. 52 plus 18 is 70. I am like 70 years old. But there are rabbis who are 90. They have to take orders from an 18 years old rabbi? Where is the logic here? You have an 80 years old Talmud Chacham and an 18 years old kid will tell him what to do. I'm the president. He went to sleep that night and he woke up in the morning. His front of his beard became all white. Now he looks 50. Overnight. That's what the Gemara said. Shem made a miracle. He went to sleep. A kid woke up an old man. All white beard. What's the significance of the miracle? Who understands the miracle? What's the miracle of him? <coughs> that? 
somebody walk with shoulder something and it is there. That's true what you say, but there is something very, very significant in the story. The fact that Hashem interfered with the laws of nature to perform a clear miracle in front of all the people, to give him that his beard will become white, that means Hashem agreed with his nomination. Meaning, yes, he's 18, but he's worthy to be a president of all of you. And if you disrespect him because you look like a child, no problem, I'll take care of it. Here is 59. Everybody looks at him, looks like 50. All gray, gray beard. So that's similar to what happened to me. When Hashem made the miracle that he went to Daf Yomi the next morning, and it was actually the story of David Amelech, which I told him the night before, that what actually concealed the entire story. And he made a decision that the yeshiva will remain in place. That's a stamp from Hashem that is happy from the yeshiva, that is willing to perform a miracle that the funding will not stop. And happened many times over the years with different scenarios, yes. The Lord of was wanting to three times when this this is kind of a miracle. How does a person know if the miracle is coming from, from Hashem's approval or from the Sitra Achra? The Well, if it's something that a person is about to stop a mitzvah and a miracle was performed, it can never be from the Sitra The Sitra never wants a person <coughs> that is about to stop a mitzvah to continue with the mitzvah. Why would the Satan help a person to continue with the mitzvah. That's against his uh, will. His will is to make you make as many sins as possible. What you really want to ask is, how do you know if you ask someone and he gives you an advice or you have a sign, if this sign is for your good or it's against you? For instance, if you think now you just got a sign that you should move to Israel, how do you know it's a sign from Hashem or sign from the Satan? That's something not, not obvious. You don't know, maybe moving to Israel will save your life and your family, or maybe will destroy your family. You will find out ten years later. But right now you don't know, maybe it's a sign from Hashem that you have to move to Israel. Maybe it's a sign from the Satan that tried to put you there, because over here your kids are doing very good in yeshivot, and he knows that once you go over there, no yeshiva will accept them and they'll be on the streets. I've seen dozens of families got destroyed by moving to Israel. It's not a guarantee that you move to Israel, your life become paradise. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. That's why it's, you have to be very careful before you move to ask your personal rabbi who knows you, knows your condition, ask a lot of questions, to check all the possibility where you want to move, and then make a decision. If you just decide, oh, it's mitzvah to live in Israel. Let's get up and pack and leave. Maybe a year or two later, you destroy the entire future. Yourself, your family, your wife, depression, the kids of the derech, one became a drug addict. It's all because of you. Why? You don't ask. That or why? You just decide to do. You understand? So the idea is, sometimes when the decision is not clear, I want to move from here to Miami, most likely it's a disaster. But maybe one out of a hundred families actually became more religious over there. Who knows? Maybe people will run after them there. The mafia wants to kill them. So what's better? They'll die. So the rabbi told him, you know, move to a place over there. No, know where you are, small community. 
Maybe over there, their life became a lot better. They became more religious. You never know. There's always an exception to the rule. Some people became religious in the worst places on earth. Bangkok, India, San Francisco. Places they would never believe. Manhattan. Who becomes better in places like Saddam? Apparently, there's an exception to the rule. Is this a good advice to tell someone leave Monsi and move to San Francisco? You have to be a super idiot to give such an advice. If a person comes and says, I want to leave Borough Park and move to Miami, you have to be super stupid to tell him, Michel Koach, move. Move to Miami. But if a person lives over here in a very modern environment that is just as bad as Miami, and wants to move to Miami, what's the nafkamina? Over here is very rotten and modern. Maybe over there a miracle will happen, it will become better. There's not that much to lose. You got the point? Okay, we finished for today. Any questions? Oh, Hashem, no question. You're afraid to stay another hour. You learn. <laughs> Every question is half an hour. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen. Rabbi Hanani, Amen. Akashia, Amen.